you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I'll take that. Well, I'm going to try to give you a wholesome message today. And I'm also going to think a lot about how to incorporate white guy activities into our discussion because it's completely true about Ryan. Ryan is one of the whitest people I know. Uh, I, whoa, whoa, look at that. Ryan and I, on occasion, we, we try to fit fun things into our, our lives together. We're both very, very busy. I've got a family of four, and he's got a family of, well, I've got a family of five. He's got a family of four, and we're, we both have jobs and all that. But when we do fun things, we usually try to do adventurous things. And to give you an example of a white guy thing, we're, I was like, Ryan, what do you want to do this last time? And he's like, well, let's go on a hike in uh, Marin. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Sounds pretty white. That's, that's pretty white. So we, we did... We go out by the beach, and then we walk up this trail. And afterwards, like, so what are we going to do now? He's like, how about we go to a spa? Like, <laughs> like it's just me and you, Ryan. You know that, right? <laughs> we're, we're <laughs> you want to go to the spa with me? He's like, yeah, it's super relaxing. We can go to the pool, go to the hot tubs, and just chill out and get good food. Like, all right, that sounds good. That's what we did. So confirming your insight onto your leader there. He's as white as they come. Don't let his beautiful Asian wife fool you. He's retained all of his whiteness, which is, which is really awesome. His food choices. He, he gets out, and she, she took him to Asia. I know that. I know that. That was not his dream destination, but I'm sure it was awesome. I'm sure it was an awesome trip. Well, I'm always excited to come. I, I really love coming. I, it, it never fits into like a peaceful, easy week for me. For some reason, every time I'm coming the week before is just the worst. <laughs> but then I get here, and it's like, oh, I'm with friends. And it's, it's so nice to be with friends. It's so important. And uh, for Soph and I, it's just really special to feel so received, feel so welcome. And uh, I just want to thank you guys for that. Because when we worship here, we meet God and we see you meeting God, and that's the ultimate. And then afterwards, we feel warm. We just feel like you guys have really loved us well, and that's, that's the game. That's what we're all about, and that's what you guys are all about, so we appreciate that. Let me just thank God for this, this time together. God, I just thank you so much for these awesome people. I thank you so much that they look so much like you today. Um, their eyes are bright. They're hopeful. They're expecting. They're excited. And there's no other reaction that anyone can have when they've seen you. Um, so it seems as if we've all seen you in different ways, and we're excited to be with you today. And so we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come in a greater way and, and just begin to, to soften us up and then speak to us really directly. Um, we want to hear from you today. Our goal leaving this place is that we would be changed in a way that would improve us, that we'd um, grow that we'd ascend higher, that we'd feel more in tune and more connected and more excited about you. So Jesus, we invite you to come and speak to us, whether it's harshly, whether it's softly, uh, but most of all, wholesomely. God, speak to us wholesomely because we love you. Amen. Prayer. That's even. All right, what do you guys want to talk about? Yep. Jesus. All right, good start. That's awesome. Well, before I share with you the stuff I'm going to share with you, I want to tell you a few things that I saw for the church. God was good to show me a few things when we were worshiping. It was really exciting for me to see. Um, I want to remind you guys that this church is, was founded at least, uh, I don't know how long ago. Do you guys, what's the, when? 
13 years ago-ish? 2006. I've known the folks that started this church for a long, long time. So like when they were in college, that's when I got to start meeting them. And they were meeting it for like a prayer group. That's what the ARC, I think, started as, as a prayer group. And so I was friends with all of them back in, in that time. And I remember the, the words and the prayers that, that went on over that group and what was, be, what was beginning with that group at that time. And so I want to remind you guys that you have like a decade or more, and really it's more, it's, it's many years before that. You have years of, of prophetic history where God has been speaking about the future and purpose and destiny of this church and this group. And granted, the group changes and the people, the faces change, but there's a lot of you who have been here for a long time. But whether you're new or have been here a long time, you're stepping into something that God has preordained for you to be a part of. That's the awesome part about God. It's like when he speaks to us, he's really speaking not just to us, he's speaking to our children. He's speaking in some ways to our parents who were before us, and a lot of times he's speaking to our children's children. And the life of a church is similar to the life of a person. He thinks of a, a body of believers meeting in one place, and he thinks of what I will do and what I intend to do, what I dream of doing in that location, in that region, with all of the people, and he's big enough to see you and the people that came for a season and left and the ones that will come and leave and the ones that will just be here through all of it. And he gets really excited because when he speaks to us 15, 20 years ago about his dreams about the ark, he was thinking of you. He really was, and he was thinking of where it's going. So I want to remind you guys, God is really big. He has a long-term vision in mind for you and for this place. You get to be a part of it. And I want to tell you the things that he's starting to get excited about that are coming now, that are in this near term, he's thought about for a very long time. And so he's been very intentional to bring the right people at the right time. And even though your neighbor makes you a little suspicious, they're part of this. They're part of this. They're supposed to be here just like you. And it's really, really cool to think that God could do something amazing in this city with people like us. We're pretty normal. We're pretty just California-type people. But God has really amazing, like, eternal-type ideas in mind for what he has coming. So one of the things I saw when we were worshiping, I saw a line of people that were measured at the—like, they were stopped at the door, and they were being let in one at a time. And when they were let in, they were, they were coming in with these huge, like— just what you would think of as kind of homeless clothes, like, you know, really baggy clothes that don't fit, really dirty, really large, and really kind of just not what you would want to be wearing, particularly if you were living in a condition like that. And there was lines of them, and they were, it was like down and around the block. And the line was exciting. The line was full of expectation, and people were talking like they were getting ready to go into a concert. It was just lines and lines and lines, so deep and so long, it was like it wasn't ending. And they were so eager to get in here. And when they came in with those clothes, at the door, there was someone taking their clothes and giving them completely new clothes. They were, like, they were giving them Patagonia jackets. which I, it's, a white, it's a white guy thing. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's what I saw. Patagonia jackets, really high-end, very nice things. And when they walked in, that's when the real excitement began. They weren't just here for clothes, although that was part of what drew them here. And so when they walked in, they were walking in, and then all of you were knelt down in your pews under the weight of God's presence, just praying and weeping. There was no heads that you could see. Everyone was face down in the pews. And then up here, 
the worship team was worshiping, and there was angels all along the side here, all along the side here. And the song was just so, so good. So good. The song was so good. And the angels were singing really loud. It was as if there, as if, as if there was a thousand people singing. And when they walked in, they were walking in, and it was like they immediately were transformed and just, just blended right in and found a place kneeling beside you. And a long time ago, I, I don't know, it was in the 90s, I went to Brownsville. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. There was a season where there was revival and renewal, and there was a lot of amazing things happening in, in America at that time. Um, Toronto, the Toronto Blessing, if you've heard of that. In Brownsville, they had a similar thing. It was just a, it was a, what I would call like a, a unique visitation of God at a church for a season. Um, so I got to go. I got to go. I wanted to go see what it was about. And we went, on a sun, we went on a Thursday, and we stayed through Sunday. And I remember a lot of things, but the thing I remember the most was on a Thursday night, they had a prayer and worship night. It's a really big auditorium, very big sanctuary. Before the, before the worship and prayer night, like, much like what you guys described as coming up this week, before it started, there was, there was hundreds of people in line like two and three hours early to get to, into the worship night. And then once the time started, the place was full. Like, and this is probably a 2,000-seat auditorium in, in a place called Pensacola, Florida. Very kind of a nondescript town in Florida. Um, when we went in, they just had worship playing, like on a tape. I was like, huh, this is kind of weird. What's going on? And then all of a sudden, I noticed as everyone started walking in, everyone just started singing along with the worship. There was literally no, no one leading anything. People just found a place in the sanctuary and either sat or stood, and everyone was just praying and worshiping on their own. There was no leader. And the presence of God was so strong. So strong. Strong enough to justify people flying from California different parts of the world, just to go experience it. And it had been going on so long that reputation, the word got out, something real is happening there. You have to go experience the presence of God. Kind of a crazy idea. Because we talk about the presence of God and when we worship and he's here and he was here tonight. And you feel something different when you're here and sometimes you'll feel something really different. And you know, gosh, that was him. He was here with me. Sometimes you'll experience that at home. But this was something unique that was happening in that church in that time for a specific purpose. And every, I think they had services on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday as well for that season. And they were always all full. And at the end of every service, they'd give a salvation call. If you want to be, you know, give your life to the Lord for the first time, I want you to come to the altar and pray for salvation. Like a real basic beginner message. And every single service, thousands of people, but, you know, for the whole weekend would come. Like, the whole altar was full. People would run to the front of the altar. And it wasn't like superstar speakers. It wasn't anything, like, where you'd take notes and go, wow, they just told me something I didn't, had never heard before. The presence of God was so amazing and alive that people just were drawn from all over to go experience that. It was so exciting. It was so exciting, in fact, that people would leave that place, and this was the same with, with Toronto as well. They'd leave that place, go back to their congregations all over the country, and the same thing started happening in their congregations. It was crazy. 
it was really, and it came, it was so significant in the body of Christ. Of course, there was a lot of controversy that surrounded it. Anytime there's something really significant that happens, there's going to be a lot of opinions. But the thing that was really remarkable was it really had a profound effect on the country and the nation and, the, and just the nature of Christianity at that time. And it, it has a name today. It was called the Renewal. It, it was a significant moment in church history. If you had eyes to see it, if you were there on the right side of it to say, this is a good thing. It's a good thing. I'm bringing that up because that's an example in, our, in my lifetime. It's in the 90s. It's probably in most of your lifetimes too. Um, it's an example of something God can do in a moment that could absolutely like turn everything upside down and validate all the efforts that someone's been putting towards something for an entire life. He did it there. He's done it all over the world. You, if you study church history, he's done this in many ways at many times. Amazing stories of revival that have happened. I'm sure you guys have heard a bunch of them. Um, I got to experience that one. I was probably 19 or 20. I still remember it. I still feel it. I still at times find myself saying, God, I miss the weight, like the, the, the depth and weight of your presence that I experienced at that time. It was so special. I wasn't like a pro-Christian. I wasn't like the best Christian ever that knew so much and understood so much and was so powerful and had it all together, therefore I knew to go. I was just kind of interested and just really sincere. That's all. And I went with a heart and a mind to say, God, like, I really want to experience you. That's it. I I want to experience something that would transform me. And now here's the exciting part. That happened then. There's still things like that happening all over. I feel like the, what's happening here and what God has in mind here is something very similar to that. But it would be his version with you in mind in this location, in, this, in the season he has in mind. And so it's not that you need, need to pattern your expectations off of what's happened before, but he's starting to assemble a unique group of people here And he's starting to shift things in your church a little bit in a way that he's setting you up for the things he's intended from the beginning. Because what a lot of the words that, uh, the theme of the words that came over this house when it started was that there would be revival on the campus of Berkeley. There would be people that would be touched and they'd be sent out all over the nation and then all over the world. There would be transformative awakening of sorts that was that had an origin in this group in this place that dna is what you've stepped into being here and sometimes it feels like we're just doing life in a good way and we have a good community but the big dreamer expectations i haven't stepped into that yet and let me just tell you it's not your responsibility to carry that it's your responsibility to dream about that if that seed is planted in your heart and you're willing to just say yeah I would get excited about that if that were to happen. Just believe that it's possible. That's all. That's your job. And then God, in his amazingness, can come in and do the rest. And so I just, wanted, I just want to plant a seed this, this afternoon. Like, you guys are capable of carrying and being part of something that is so regionally transformative and potentially nationally transformative that you would lay, if you could see it, you'd lay everything aside for it. You really would. It's not about church attendance, therefore you should come here more faithfully, or you should give more faithfully, or you should just be a more diligent, like, churchgoer. 
It's about a heart posture that says, I want to dream about a great God that would use me to do great things. And I think that if you start to ask that question of God in your own time, and you say, God, how could I get into the stream of something really remarkable and something really special in my generation? Not just you giving me the best job I could ever get. Not just you giving me the family I'm supposed to have. But beyond that, because those are baseline expectations for a good father and a good God. Beyond that, I want to dream bigger and I want to be part of something you have in mind. I have a feeling that prayer would be in line with God's dream about this place. And therefore, you would be praying a prayer that's like his will. You know, our Father who art in heaven, your will be done. You know that thing? It's pretty, it's, it gets pretty simple. If you get the vision that God has for the place you're in, and you say, God, I want to agree with that, change everything in me so I can, then all of a sudden it's like we're flying. We put gas in the engine and we're moving. Okay, so I'm going to stop there with that idea. But I want you guys, I want that seed to plant in your heart. That, hey, maybe the season of transition for our church is one where God's beginning to turn a new wheel where something greater is going to happen. This is not a step back. It's not a slow down. This is a, hey, let's have bigger expectations because he's put you in good hands. The structure and the people that God has brought to this place are really remarkable, really remarkable. So remarkable, in fact, that the the final piece of that vision I saw was all of your leaders, every time they'd come up to minister, they were knelt down on the ground, like face on the ground with their microphone on the ground. And it reminded me a lot of uh, in the, the Azusa Street Revival. When he would speak, I, I'm not history lesson, you guys look that up if you don't know what that is. Azusa Street Revival in L.A., uh, Seymour, last name, William Seymour, thank you. He would just lay on the floor, I think he would like hide underneath, a, like in a box, he'd put his head in a box. The weight and presence of God was so strong, but he was leading a revival that changed the nation because God likes humble leaders. He likes that. He loves it when you don't have it together. He, and you point to him really loud and clear. You know, that's the one thing you see when you see me is like him, not like me. That, yeah, that's the goal for every leader. And so like, that's, the, that's the dream picture I think God has in mind. I think it's really exciting. It's really exciting. So God, do it. Do it. Use us. Let us be a part of it. All we want to do is touch a part of it just so we could say that we were a part of something just nationally amazing nationally amazing how cool how cool you know what else is cool every time I speak Ryan's not here (laughs) that's cool that's cool what a friend (laughs) he's like hey I'm not going to be there why don't you go come on over that would be awesome good to see you All right, Philippians chapter 1 Philippians chapter 1. Okay, I'm going to teach you something today. Normally I don't teach you, I just talk to you. Talking's more fun, but sometimes teaching can be good. All right. Anyone ever been to Philippi? Yeah, I don't even know where that's at. Um, So before we get into the scripture... I want you to kind of get a picture of what was going on before Paul writes this letter. Paul, you guys have heard of him. He writes a letter to the church at Philippi. The church of Philippi was started 
before Paul arrived. Paul didn't start this church. There was a group of believers, Christians, that had started to get together in Philippi, and they had a prayer house, and they had regular meetings, and they had a kind of a, they had a faith. They had the Christian faith, and they were working it. This was the first established church in Europe. Theme, white guy things, Europe. <laughs> first established church there. Um, Paul's writing a letter to the church that he had visited. He, he had visited this church because he was ministering, and he had a vision. And, and before, So before he even knows about this place and this group, he has a vision, and it's a dream or a vision or both. And, and he has this picture of someone coming to him in the dream saying, please come and help us. Come and help us. We need you. And so he wakes up. This is in Acts. I actually have it. We're not going to read it, but it's in Acts 16, 8 and 10. He has this vision, and, and he says, come help us. We need help. And so Paul, in his wisdom, recognizes that that dream was God speaking to him. How many of you have had dreams in your life? Yes, we all have. Are they all from God? No, they're not. <laughs> but some of them are. Some of them are. Paul was good enough to understand that this was a God dream. He was really good because he has a dream, and he travels to another country because of that dream, specifically to a city, knowing no one, and he just goes there. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I had a dream, so therefore I left shortly thereafter and went to another country because I knew God had something in mind for me there. Though I know no one, I'm sure he'll make it clear once I get there. Cool life. Um, so he has this dream, and he gets there, and he happens to meet Lydia. Lydia is a uh, dye merchant. Did I get that right? Dye merchant? So she's, she's a businesswoman. She sells dye, and she's, she is wealthy. Um, pretty cool. Let's start with that for a second. This is a long time ago. He meets a woman who's running a business, and she's wealthy. That's not what we think of when we think of Bible times pretty awesome that that's the first person that God sends Paul to. He's like, I want you to meet someone who's powerful and important and will, will help you and you'll help her finish my mission in this town. Ladies, powerful, important, you can start or finish a mission of God's in your town. All right. I got three daughters. Getting good at this stuff. They're babies. I got to practice. Um, so he finds Lydia. Lydia takes him, and they have fellowship with the, the group that's already there. Paul didn't create the group. The group's there. And things are going well. Day after day, they go to this prayer house together. And one of the days, Paul's walking with Timothy, and there's this psychic girl, fortune teller girl, that follows them every day and says, Paul's the son of God. Or no, not the son of God. Paul is like, like the man of God. This is a man of God. Like, in a, in a strangely true but harassing way, she's calling Paul out, saying, saying you're, you're sent by God. You're, you're God's messenger. You're God. Strangely, that was the demonic's way of harassing Paul in this town. Strangely, but true. After a couple of days, Paul gets tired of it. That's what it says. 
And he turns to her and he casts the devil out of her. And she immediately is changed. She's lost her powers. And her um, users, I don't know how else I'd say it, the people that like are using her psychic abilities, her fortune telling, her prophetic abilities, are upset because Paul has just lost their, like broken their cash cow. She would use them to, they would use her to get money from people. So they go to the authorities, the authorities come after Paul, and they go to the authorities and say, these people are disrupting our way of life here. They're introducing a faith and a way of thinking that will, will compromise our system. Put them in jail. So they put them in jail. This is the story. You guys have all heard it before. They're in jail. Paul, after being beaten and thrown in jail, he starts singing, and an earthquake comes, and the jailer is freaked out. He's like, oh, the doors are open. Everyone's going to leave. No, don't do it, jailer. Paul, yeah, stay. No, don't do it. Don't kill yourself. Don't do it. We're all here. In fact, why don't you let me meet with the, the authorities in the morning? Tell them I'm a Greek citizen, and, or a Roman citizen, and they need to treat me well. He doesn't just get out of jail. He says, I want to meet with the people who put me here. I don't understand this at all. Like, I really don't. I'm like, hey, I want to get out of here. God opened the doors. I'm out. Paul's a totally different level. He's a machine. They let him go. They're afraid when they find out he's a Roman citizen. And they let him go. And Paul comes back to the group. He goes, things are together. I'm good. Don't worry about me. Everything seems to be in order. I think we've accomplished the mission. I'm leaving. I, you know, who knows what else happened with this group at this time. But Paul came to another country, has this encounter. And if you think about it, he wasn't having an encounter with a little girl with a spirit. He was, he was in having an encounter with a, re like, this is the powerhouse spirit of that region. He has, shows his authority over it. He makes an impact with her and with that city, with that church, and establishes them and says, fear nothing. God is with us. We're more powerful than all of the establishment that's here. And God will continue to empower you. Keep up the good work. I got to go. Um, so he leaves. That's the church that Paul is writing to. And this is 10 years later. He's writing back to that group of believers he had visited. Now think about that group of believers for a second. Before Paul had arrived. They're sophisticated. They understand wealth. They understand trade. These are, if she's a, a dye merchant, that means there's traffic in those days. That means there's people coming in and out of this town. That means there's an education level and a academic ability that's probably higher than most of European and uh, just culture at large in general. They're smart. Let's talk about the church's, like, spiritual awareness. They've seen, like, people, just in the one instance we know about, he casts out a demon. So they've seen some kind of spiritual conflict, and that she's transformed. I bet you when Paul was there, they saw healings. I bet you they, as a church, they understood prayer, and they understood persecution. They saw that with Paul. And so this was a powerful people that were committed to this thing. They're pretty alert, pretty sharp, and then Paul has this letter to write. And so I want to I focus in on just kind of what we would typically call kind of an introductory part of the letter. And I want you to think about what he's saying to a group of people that are very mature in terms of their exposure to life and experience in general. All right, so I'm going to read verses 3 on. 
All right, let's read this one. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, do we skip forward? Is that right? All right. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's that verse. You guys have heard that verse a ton. You know, he, he's faithful to complete the good things he started in you. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Do we stop there? Oh, it's my fault. I knew it. All right, so we stop there. All right, let me keep going. Sorry. <laughs> Don't blame her. Blame me. Ten. Ooh. Good. She passed the test. <laughs> so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. All right, excellent. Thank you very much. In the translation I have in verse 6, it says, the one who began this glorious work in you, this is going back to that one that you've always heard, where God will complete what he started. It says, the one who began the good work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you. Say maturing you and will put his finishing touches to it until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. So I think on, on your first interaction with the church of Philippi, I don't think you would suspect that they were immature believers. But Paul prays this prayer. If you look in Colossians and you look in Thessalonians, he prays a prayer that's very similar to this. His prayer for people in these churches that are fighting for the gospel, fighting for an identity as a community against really pagan, crazy practices, he prays for them that they would mature. Mature. And then he goes on and kind of begins to explain what his idea of maturity is. To do the things that I think God has dreamed about, dreamt about for you, it will require maturity. Maturity isn't the same for us as like San Francisco, Oakland, Hayward, Bay Area residents who are trying to work our way through our careers and have families and mature in like the, the ways of the world. This is a spiritual maturity. God's idea of maturity is completely different than our, our maturity that's required to just succeed in life and culture here. So you getting a good job, you having a stable family, you having um, success and affirmation at work and a legacy of like a home and something to pass on to your kids, that's not maturity in God's mind. That's, that's normal life. That's just normal. And some of us, and there's no fault, we will struggle to do those things for reasons that are totally human and normal. Many of us don't have backgrounds where stable family healthy jobs, and 
inheritance were part of them. I'm one of those. And so for me, I fight every day to, to break ground for my family that wasn't broken for me. And I'm just fighting for normal life things. I want a stable household. I want beautiful kids that love me. I want to love them well and be patient with them. And I want them to have good opportunities to go to school. And I want them to have good opportunities to find great people to marry. I want to have great opportunities to go to work wherever they want, do the things they dream of doing. That's a normal life. They get to eat every day. You know, they get to dream a little bit and adventure a little bit. That's a normal life. But God maturity, God life is so much greater than that, potentially. God can be your sponsor and get you into a position where you have that normal life I just described. And if that's what God does for you, that's good enough, and it's okay. There's no shame in God. There's never a point at which God goes, ugh, I really like that guy. I mean, I really like him. I just really am disappointed that he didn't try harder. Oh, look at all that hair on his head. He had so much potential. I have guys all over the world with less hair that are doing so much more. And he had all that hair. He took it for granted. Gabriel, come over here. Look at this guy. I gave him a beautiful head of hair. It's ridiculous. He plays video games. He watches movies. He likes to eat a lot. It seems like he's just doing normal stuff with all that potential. Angels, come over here. Look at this guy. Can you believe this is all he's done? Does that sound like God to you? Ooh. Oh. Oh, maybe it does. Oh, maybe that's how you feel. Maybe that's not God's idea. Maybe that's your idea. God's not like that. He's not like that at all. Not at all. He knows exactly where you came from. He knows exactly the hand you were dealt. He knows that you were dyslexic. He knows that your dad wasn't really always there. He knows that your grandpa was not part of your dad's family and therefore your family's two generations later struggling a little bit. He knows that you don't read very well. He knows that you really struggle in social environments. He knows everything about you. He's not judging you for who you are. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. So there's no point in your life where God goes, I wish you would have done more with what I gave you. He's a good dad. And so for you, your dreams should include healthy family, healthy marriage, healthy kids, good job that you love, good home that you can afford to buy, establishing yourself in the city that God's told you to establish in, making room for maybe your family to do a little bit more than you did before you did. That's normal. And if we need God to get us there, and we all do to some degree, that's okay. And I believe that if you are willing to say, God, I believe that you want me to have all those things, 
He will help you get there. But I also believe if you say, God, I know you'll get me all those things, or at least get me progressing towards them so I know I can give my next generation a chance. But I also want more. Do you think God goes, whoa, 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 hold on. You want more? You're greedy. Oh, you're greedy. This conversation's over. I am never talking to you again. Door closed. Thanks for trying. You can have the family, but I'm never going to give you more than that because you haven't deserved it. You haven't earned it. That's not him either. That's not him either. God loves you. He says something really strange in the Bible. He says those who have will get more. It's strange. But it's interesting because I feel like when we start to receive from God, we start to figure out, oh, he liked giving me that gift. It's really normal for a good dad to enjoy giving their kids things, making a way for them. In fact, he likes it so much, he seems to enjoy it. Why don't I ask him to do more things for me? Why don't I, instead of just getting the basics from God and agreeing with him for the basics, why don't I start to agree with him for bigger? In fact, why don't I ask him what I should be agreeing with him for and dreaming about? Because it seems to me that he wants me to have a healthy and normal life. He doesn't want me to be on the streets and struggling. He wants me to, to be like him. He is at peace. He has everything he needs to accomplish the mission. He's given me a mission. He's going to give me everything I need to accomplish that mission. How about, God, why don't you start teaching me what you have in mind for me? And let me agree with that. Give me spiritual insight. Give me eyes and ears to see your dreams for me. And when he does that, then you start asking for things on that side of the wall as well. There's a natural wall, a natural life, and we're all challenged every day to endeavor in that natural life with God. You should be working for God. You should be familying for God. You should be friending for God. You should be, like, he's part of all of that, and he loves it. But then there's this other side, and this is the side that I want to challenge you guys on today. I feel like you guys get ample direction on this side. No doubt about it. You have excellent, excellent models. Ryan and Suki are really excellent at life. They really are. I, I have been enamored by their life for a very long time. They're very steady, faithful, diligent, blessed people. Follow them, and you're following in great footsteps. And I, I think that there's another side, and they do this too, and I'm not saying they're not good at both. I'm just saying that's a really obvious, logical example. That there's this other side that God is constantly saying, I'm looking for those that want to be drawn into this arena. I'm looking for those that are willing to like engage with my ideas about spiritual maturity, not just physical maturity. Because they're different things. Acknowledge that they're different things. You guys are probably all making progress in both areas right now, but it's really important to figure out, okay, how do I start to mature in the spirit arena? Because I'm sure if I start to mature in this side, there's amazing fruit that comes with that too. Okay. So Paul's talking to a church that's seeing and doing all kinds of awesome stuff. They got life to a degree down, and they got spirit exposure and experience down. And so he says this, I want to see that God finishes this work of maturing you. And then looking specifically at verse 9, he said, I, and this is what I'm praying for in belief that he'll mature you. 
One, I pray for your love to grow and increase beyond measure. That sounds pretty basic. Pretty simple. Love, patient, kind, you know, all that stuff. I'm sure you're all excellent at it. That's where Paul's prayer starts. And really, it's kind of where it ends. If you look at how this is written, what he says, he says, I, I pray that your love would increase so, and then he gives us a list of different things. The idea is that if your love, one to another and to the world, grows, which we, I think, can make tangible, it's easy. I know how to love people, or at least I understand it. I may not be good at it, but I understand it. If I can work on loving, all of these other things will come. So let's go through the list really quickly of things. your love grows and increases beyond measure, it will bring you into the rich revelation of spiritual insight in all things. So that's the second one. What does yours say? Bringing you into the rich revelation of spiritual insight in all things. Excellent. Okay. I'm just going to touch on this for a minute. Spiritual insight into all things. I want you to just think that phrase. Spiritual insight into all things. A lot of people look at this verse and they call it discernment. Use the word discernment. Spiritual insight into some things? Nope. All things. Spiritual insight into all things. So if you work on your love, your spiritual insight into all things will grow. Now this is, it's just interesting. It's kind of, it's strange a little bit. But there's an idea that there's a spiritual world, a spiritual reality, a spiritual connection to all things that we may or may not have insight into. The concept is you could live a whole life with all that natural stuff going on, all of the concerns and cares of the world happening in your life, and never have any connection to the spiritual world that's happening behind the scenes. Is it behind the scenes? Not really. It's just that Jesus, when he walked around and talked to everybody, he's like, open their eyes. Give them eyes to see and ears to hear. You guys have seen that phrase all over the Bible. Well, what does he mean? Most of them, he's not just talking about the blind and deaf people. He's talking specifically about everyone, really. He's like, give them spiritual eyes to see. Give them spiritual ears to hear. This is the initial step towards maturity. How much do we say about discernment? I'll just say this. I think that there's a lot of room to grow. Is that fair? There's a motive behind everything we do. Let's just turn it inwards for a moment. This is the easiest place to practice discernment. A lot of times when we talk about discernment, it's really easy to go, well, I'll show you my discernment. Look at that person over there. I'll tell you what they're doing. Okay. We're not going to do that. Sure, discernment and having eyes to see and ears to hear would give you insight that Paul had when the, the girls coming after him, saying the truth, but knowing that it's a mocking and demonic thing. He had insight. He understood what was happening in the spirit realm with that thing. And so he was able to address it. Yes, that's an expression of discernment, but that's not what we're after. Okay? We're not after that. But discernment that happens within us, I'm going to give you a fun example, because this happens to me constantly. It happened like a week ago. We were, we were in Santa Barbara shopping for sunglasses, and I picked up a pair of sunglasses, 
And I go, huh, I like these. And immediately I thought about a person who I'm interviewing for a job with. Hmm, that's strange. Why did I think about a person I'm interviewing for a job with? All right, I'm going to give you another example. I go into my closet in the morning, and I'm going to work, and I'm flipping through my clothes, and I pick up a shirt, and I immediately think about a person I work with. Huh, that's strange. What's that about? Hmm. Um, there's motives behind everything we do. The Holy Spirit's really, really gentle. Very, very, very careful. He doesn't ever want to impose his will on us. He wants our will to be aligned with his. So one of the processes that we go through in maturing is starting to learn the motivations of our own hearts. That's the very fertile ground that we get to practice on in this process of maturing in spiritual discernment. So when I asked God about what he wanted me to talk about when I came here, he's like, teach him how to hear my voice. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> we talk about that every time I come. That's so cool. <laughs> like, what do you mean? And I, I don't know if you notice, but I notice, and that's what I'm always trying to do with you guys is, is, is give you tips and pathways to where you can hear from God for yourself. And, and God is amazing, and there's so much depth to our relationship with the Holy Spirit if we mature in that relationship with the Holy Spirit. He's so amazing because it's not just that like he comes and speaks physically audibly to us, although we would all dream of having that. That's one dimension in which he could interact with us. He does that. He can. He's not prohibited from doing that. But that's one thing. The Holy Spirit interacts with us in his own way, in infinite numbers of ways, frankly. And he, throughout the Bible, he gives us tons of examples of people having an understanding of what's going on around them that's separate from what is naturally visible. I'll give you an example of the Elijah-Elisha conversation. You guys have known that, where he's af Elisha's afraid, like, hey, this army's coming, or they're going to kill us. And Elijah goes, open your, open, God, open his eyes. And, and all of a sudden, his eyes are open, and he has spiritual insight to the reality of what's, what's actually happening. There's this huge like, number of warring angels already there, prepared. He talks to Noah about building a boat when there hadn't been rain. You know, like he, he gives insight into the, what's coming in the Spirit to him. Jesus, if you look at Jesus' life over and over and over again, he interacts with people, and he's never interacting with the physical. He's always addressing something that's going on behind the scenes in the spirit. And then he's always turning to the disciples and the disciples go, so what, were we supposed to bring bread? I don't, you want us to feed the, I don't understand. Like, and they're so literal. They're very literal. And I, like, I, the more you study the disciples and Jesus' interactions, he's always frustrated and he's always telling them like, Ah, you guys have no idea what's going on. I just told you. And he's like, I speak in parables because no one, they, you guys need to understand with your spirit. You got to get your spiritual eyes open. I'm here to open your spiritual eyes. And they're like, yeah, how are we going to feed 5,000? I don't get it. Who is supposed to bring bread? Like, and then they start fighting 
with each other. They, there's no connection whatsoever. It doesn't really even start to happen until after he's resurrected. He's, he really starts. Look at that when you're reading about Jesus. There's, there's this amazing confrontation between natural humanity, what we expect and what we come to dream about and, and know, and Jesus, who says, there's a spiritual reality. I'm bringing you a comforter and a teacher and a helper that will help you understand this arena. As you mature and grow, you'll start to look more and more like me in the spirit, and then, therefore, you will be as powerful as I was. But this is just one of many languages. There's an infinite amount of maturing we get to do. But I want you guys to, I want you to practice this. I want you to practice searching your own heart. And I want you to practice asking God. You see David do it all the time. David says, God, search my heart. Show me the things that are not good in there. (laughs) Why is he asking for help? Because we have a really hard time understanding our own motivations. We really do. But God, if you ask him to do that, if you ask him to start giving you spiritual eyes and ears, understanding your own motivations and working on those, and therefore working towards more love and more honesty with other people, he will start to bring you along and open your eyes to things that that you can handle, right? Understanding the motivations of other people is helpful, but it's very hard. And it takes a lot of maturity. You've got to get the love thing down before you can really handle knowing what's going on with other people. So if you don't have that and you just have eyes that are open, it's like, oh, you know, this guy's greedy and he's going to take all of our money. Well, cool. Like, <laughs> what do you do? You just you start attacking or defending against that person. Sorry, I'm pointing at you. <laughs> You're not. You're not. Not you. Not you. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Okay. <laughs> lust, you know, like dirt, dark stuff. All of us have different la- layers of stuff on and around us at all times. Discernment towards other people is a gift, but I want you to think about this. God wants you to grow in love. He wants you to learn to love really well. If you learn to love people really well, when you find out there's things going on, when you, when you instead of uh, going for that dress in your wardrobe and thinking about the guy at work that you want to impress, you go, you have an interaction at work and you see someone and and immediately that same thought pops in your mind and it's a lust thought and you go, oh, this guy's got lust on him. He's acting out of lust or he's carrying lust around. Um, I feel so bad for him. I'm really sorry that he's struggling with this because lust like breeds insecurity. It, it, it blossoms into like violent insecurity and so they'll assert themselves in a lot of different ways. Love would say, oh, you're okay. You're okay. Like, you're okay. We can be friends. I, like, we're okay. Let's, I'm okay. You're okay too. Like, immaturity that without love goes, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Danger. Everyone's dangerous. I'm afraid of everybody. I can't be around anybody because I know that everybody's got stuff. You become a hermit, you know, a desert hermit. There's a whole, there's a whole history of Christianity where the guys retreated away from people to get closer to God. But Paul tells us, learn to love, practice love, 
And out of that love, you'll begin to understand your own motivations and other people's motivations in a way that will give you insight and help shape your actions. Let's look at the next effect if we get some spiritual insight. That insight, also known as discernment, gives us the ability to choose what's best. So, guys, it really is simple life, practical navigation. It's, God, I want you to start speaking to me about my own motives. I want you to speak to me about what's driving my actions. And here's one thing. What's driving my fears or insecurities? That's a good one, because I think we all deal with that on some level. I'm worried about my finances. I'm worried about my relationships. I'm worried about my health. I want you to get, show me the motivation and root of that. If I start to understand the, the source of those thoughts, the source of the thing that wants me to grab a certain dress, the source of the thing that wants me to buy a certain pair of sunglasses, the source of the thing that wants me to be afraid for any reason at all, I'll choose better. I'll actually choose to act in opposition to that thing that's motivating that decision. That's the ultimate goal of discernment, is that you, as a, as a love-filled person, get to make choices that are really founded in the spirit realm. They're not founded in natural wisdom. Here's the wise and natural normal thing to do. If you follow the, our heroes, it's not always about wise and natural and normal. There's a lot of activity like Paul having a dream and leaving the country. So to get there, though, we start to learn our own motivations. We start to hear and see with eyes that are open, and we'll make better choices. What comes next? We become pure and without offense. I think that's really interesting. That actually learning our own motivations, discerning what's going on in and around us, what's driving us to do things, will lead us to where, towards purity as a lifestyle. And, fifth, if you're pure, you become full of the fruit of righteousness. It's a pretty good thing. And sixth, our last point of the day will become great praise and glory to God. There's a really big promise over this church. The requirement is that you guys get better at hearing him for yourselves. If God is going to manifest himself here, it's because he has a company of people who are tuned in to his promptings, tuned in to his motivations, and they begin to live their real normal life in line with those things. And his spirit will begin to manifest in you because you'll just carry it with you wherever you go. And if there's enough of us that are pure and our motives are good and our eyes are open so we're not participating in things that are really contrary to God, even though they may sometimes feel right, all of a sudden he can start investing his glory in us. He can start doling out a little bit more and more of a measure of his presence in your life so that when you get together with other people who are doing the same thing, it multiplies. And all of a sudden, there's a synergy of our interests and motives that are towards the things and dreams of God. It's not a struggle anymore. It's not like we have to grind and we got to pray God in. And we have to like intercede and hold back the enemy and we got to fight off all the darkness because we are the light. It's, it's no, we just, we live joyful peaceful. The fruits of the Spirit is part of the fruit of what happens if we live a life of discernment. We get peace. We get joy. 
We get kindness. We get trust. We get hope. We get love. Love was at the beginning. We get a lot of stuff. All of a sudden, our life just calms down. We get a lot more confident. We're not striving at all. And all of a sudden, here he comes. Wait a minute. It's not him. It's me. Here I come. And I'm just walking with him wherever I go. I understand my own motivations. I understand my own actions. You'll find yourself doing a lot less things that used to be really important to you and a lot more things that just seem like they're important to him. A lot more phone calls to people encouraging them. A lot more showing up at a prayer service maybe just to kind of try it out. Giving your spiritual life a a kick, a boost and saying, you know what? I want to start to dream in that arena. I want God to speak to me more plainly, more clearly and practically. And I think it will become something. I think if, if I allow that to happen, it will grow into something amazing. I'm convinced there's people that are really gifted prophets in here. I'm convinced there's people that are really gifted intercessors, very gifted givers, very gifted people. Very, very, very gifted people. The amazing thing about those gifts, God gives them to us. We have to get in tune on the spiritual arena in order for them to really be fruitful. There's not one person in here that doesn't have really high, high impact potential in the kingdom of God. There's no shame in saying that. There's no shame in saying God has like in, in me, his dream for me is a really high impact, like generational changer. That's me. That's God's dream for me. And if you look at your life and you go, that's not me. Maybe I believe what Vince is saying, but it's not me. There's no shame here. Remember what we said. There's a natural, there's a spiritual. God is going to progress us in both of these arenas as long as we're willing to trust and say, God, come, come, come. Come more. Give me more. Teach me more. Challenge me more. Give me more harder experiences that will change me, transform me so that I could be like Paul, leave on a drop of a hat. Like, I had a dream. I know I'm supposed to go. You discernment when to interact with people and when not to interact with people. Discernment to go to a place and know, okay, it's time for me to leave now. Discernment to move your family because of a new job. Discernment to uh, take a job because you know it's the right one. Discernment with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It's the right one. It's not the right one. <laughs> you need discernment. You need spiritual discernment. Oh, good job. Good family. Nice guy. Seems kind. Wants kids. Spiritual discernment. Dark heart. Black. <laughs> or ugly. He's not interested in anything good. Warning, warning, warning. But if you don't have ears to hear, you have no idea. Could that happen? Mm-hmm. 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 That's just an example. <laughs> How much do you want God to be involved in your life? How much do you want to hear from God? Start paying attention to the prompts in your life. The number one way that God talks to you is through impressions in your mind. The number one way. It can either be a picture that you see, a person you think of, a voice that says something. That's the number one way that God interacts with you. It's personal, it's private. No one else can see it or feel it. But it happens, and it's up to you to whether to pause every time you see something. Go, is that you? If you do that enough, pretty soon you'll start going. I think that's him. Do it enough, 
he'll go, yep, that's me. Thanks for asking. Plenty more coming. You can trust it. You can trust it so much that you can make major life changes over that little impression that you have. Sometimes they'll give you dreams. Those are much more easy, in my view, to get a hold of because you're asleep and knocked out and you wake up and you go, oh, I just saw a whole movie about myself. That was awesome. Or a whole warning about somebody or a whole like, like story. That's cool. God does that when it's really dramatic. The Bible's full of those. But the intimacy that he has in mind, the sensitivity where you and the Holy Spirit are really good friends, where you really kind of carefully pay attention to the spiritual dialogue that goes on, that's a whole different level. That's where God really gets to use you in really subtle ways. Where he goes, whoa, 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 don't say that at this meeting. Save that. I want to say it now. No, no, just, just hold that thought. Hold it. Three weeks later, when you're not expecting it, why don't you go ahead and share it now? Okay. Impact. He knows everything. He knows when the right time to do things is. He knows who the right people for you to spend time with is. He knows who you should marry. How much do you want him to be involved in the big decisions? He doesn't have to be, and he'll still bless your life. You've married someone, you didn't ask him, don't drop him. <laughs> you're not supposed to get out of any relationships. You're supposed to like move forward. We've always moved forward. We move forward with him. Invite him into everything. Be slow down. Listen up. If you're not hearing, smile. Don't get intense. Don't get crazy. Just chill out. It's a still, small voice. If it's not talking, it's okay. Just keep walking. Just keep walking. But always asking. Always saying, hey, you know, I really want to quit my job. I'm not yelling. I'm just asking. Why aren't you talking? Okay, okay, you're not talking. I'll just keep walking. I'll keep walking. I want to quit my job. <laughs> I hate my job. Just talking to us friends. Just us friends. I got a new job for you, Vince. Uh, how about tomorrow? <laughs> okay, we're still good. But sometimes it can get crazy. I need it now. You're not talking. I'm walking my way. No, no, no. I'm never walking my way. I might get really loud. I might make it really emotional sometimes. Things might hurt really bad sometimes. But God, I, I know you enough to, to guard the sensitivity we have with one another. And I'm going to trust it. Even if you're quiet for a while. I'm going to trust it on this topic. And on this topic, this one I'm having a hard time with. I'm going to, why don't, can I, can I just not talk to you about this one? Yeah, it's okay. Let's talk about the ones you want to talk about. We'll get to that. You'll eventually, through these things that you trust me in, learn that you can trust me in that too. I'm not upset with you. I love you. If you do enough of that, your life begins to change. 
You say, who could God invest his presence in so significantly that it would change a whole region? You guys? To get that sensitivity down in the things that matter most to you. Because if it really matters to you, you'll learn to really trust him. And if you learn to really trust him, then you can go anywhere with him. And he can give you any amount of power and it won't corrupt you. He can give you any amount of influence and it won't change the the truth about who you two are together. Small voice. Discernment looks like this. I see your face in front of me, but I also see six faces around you. Discernment gives me the 360 view of what's going on in your life, the influences that are actually shaping your actions. In James 3, it says, where selfish ambition is, Therein lies every evil thing. I've, I've thought about that verse for a long time because ambition is something we celebrate as a culture. But if that motive is in you, your growth, your advancement, your personal like ascension, if that's your core motive, God sees it. It will, it will override every sensitive voice conversation there could ever be. You'll get the other spouse. You'll get the other job. You'll get the other set of friends. Selfish ambition is you on the floor when his presence is in this room, taking no credit for the thousands that are coming to experience God. Selfish ambition wouldn't allow that. You'd have to be up front and heard. If you're the leader, you, you couldn't kneel in his presence and lead because you have to lead with your face. That's not what God's after. They want, he wants them to see his face. So for you, simplify your life. Simplify things. Believe that God could begin to uncover your motives. Open your own eyes to your own heart. And then as you begin to honestly engage with him and others, he'll begin to introduce you to verses like, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Those that are pure-hearted. He'll begin to introduce you to the beatitude where Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And it'll mean so much to you. Because all of a sudden you're aware of this other side of you that's moved you for so long. And you realize, wow, my excitement is when, I realize, when I'm making decisions and saying things that I know are in line with him. It's exciting just to know that we're in lockstep. I'm not looking down the line saying, well, this is what's going to come of it. I'm just excited about a lifestyle that this is what def- defines it. Very good. <laughs> no, 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 stop, 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 that's not what, <laughs> no, 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 stop, 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 um, that was my pause, I was pausing, uh, all right, I want to pray for some of you guys, I, I really, I, the discernment thing is a big, big deal, you guys need it, this is a very uh, challenging place to live and to, to worship, not this church, this city, you need to learn what is you, what is God, and what is not, any of those two. You know, if it's not those two, it's something else. And so you just got to, you do it by reading the Bible, learning what Jesus was like. You do it by paying attention to your own motives. You do it by sowing seeds of love. That love will just 
change you. And it'll change other people too. I want to pray for you guys. There's a couple things that we touched that I feel like some of you need to respond to. Some of you need hope because, um, because of the, the struggle in the natural side of life. It's just a natural challenge. It's a challenge for you to get through the days with hope because you feel like you're fighting for your place in what I described earlier as normal. We just want a family that's stable. We just want a healthy family. We just want um, dreams for our own careers and, and stuff that we're just not depressed all the time, you know? That's, that, that is not God's idea for you, so you need prayer on that side of the, the ball. That's good. What's good is if you acknowledge it and go, I need it. That's me. That's how it starts. That's how the breaking begins. And we got a prayer team that will pray with you and love on you and acknowledge that they too have been there. We all have. And it's seasonal too. Some of you really mature leaders here, it's seasonal for you to also have those moments where you aren't trusting and excited like you used to be. And it's really important that if you find yourself in those, those moments, you, you get that prayer. You get the help because it's normal and it, if you don't address it, it will lock you up for a while. Um, the other side of you that we need to pray for is just a childlike interest in starting to get this arena, this spiritual inside arena turned on. It's like you want to pray the prayer, God, turn the light on on the spiritual side of my life so I can start understanding my own motives and I can start acting more out of love than out of whatever else is pushing me around. Be it fear, be it ambition, be it anything. There's a whole list, right, of things that could drive your decision process. So you want God to open your eyes and then you want to start a lifestyle of connecting with people so that we can work through and work forward with eyes wide open. Like, hey, I found out I really am kind of, I've accepted these things in my life and God wants to take them out. I'm not supposed to ever be afraid. I'm not supposed to be dominated by lust. I'm not supposed to um, be insecure about how I look, how I feel. I'm not supposed to be um, not believing that God loves me and not hopeful about my future. So God, give us insight into that side. So those are the two things I'm going to pray for. If that's you, when we have a prayer time, I want you just to come up and pray with these people. There'll be some music, I think, worship and uh, prayer team. Just come up physically, say it out loud, pray with somebody, it'll change everything. Father, I just thank you so much for this group. I thank you for the pattern that Paul gave us, that maturity involves love first, and you love us so well. You're so faithful and diligent to come back to us over and over with your love for us and uh, remind us of our worth and remind us of our potential to make progress um, in both the natural life and spiritual life. And so God, for everyone in this room, I pray for your Holy Spirit just to come now and descend upon this group. I pray that your encouragement and your conviction would come. And anyone who's in any place where they want advancement, both spiritual and or just with the natural things, they need encouragement. I pray, Father, that you would begin to speak to their heart. You begin to just tell them that you love them, that your plans for them are good, that they're not behind, that you have great plans and things ahead of them, and that you're so excited to hear from them today, asking for the first time or maybe the 50th time to bring you forward 
Pull us forward, God, today. Make this be a launching pad moment for this church. Let this be a launching pad moment for us individually. And God, we just break off any harassment and any shame that's come with our sense of stagnation. We break it and we just say this is a new day that today is the new for all of us. We're all in the same position today. None of us are behind. And God, you're bringing a new fresh wind into this church and a new sense of renewal and revival where we're going to experience your presence in new ways. We thank you so much for your commitment to us. And we just open our hearts up to you and we ask you, God, to come and meet us now. In Jesus' name.